God and Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we just declare we need you. We need your help. Forgive us for saying that, whether in church or at home when we pray, and then not living completely reliant on you. That's our reality, God. We need you. We need your help. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning as we open your word, you would help us to have a proper understanding of our need for you. Would you forgive us of our self-reliance and our, our trusting on ourselves, Lord, and help us to rely on you and learn what it looks like to return to you, God, in, in a reliant heart and life, Lord. Please, would you lead us and teach us from your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Second Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And while you're going there, um, I'll just say this statement to you. When God tries to get your attention, he always has a good reason. I hope you can agree with me on that, and I hope you understand that. If God is trying to get your attention with something, it's because he has a good reason. Over this past 18 months or so of pandemic world and craziness, I've just keep thinking, if the Lord's trying to teach me something, I want to get it the first time. I don't want to have to take the class again. I don't want another lockdown. I don't want to go around this ride again. I don't know about you. Uh, I was not the most academically inclined student in school. There were some classes I got to take more than once, all right? I don't want to have to learn whatever the lesson is the Lord's trying to teach me right now more than once. And hopefully you're like that too. You're like, yeah, if sovereign, holy, almighty, powerful, gracious, compassionate, and loving God has something for you, you're like, I want that. The problem is that we don't always live like that. We live in the moment, thinking about what's going on in our lives right now. So many of us are constantly thinking about how to get back to normal, as if normal was a thing we can get back to. How do we get back to how things were? But the reality is all of the good and all of the plenty and all of the blessing and all of the freedom and all of the abundance that we've ever had was only graciously and compassionately given to us by God. All of it. We are reliant people. We are reliant on God. And so what we have to do is get back to a place of reliance on God. Today's message isn't about the Lord delivering and providing all sorts of things for us. It is about us returning to relying on him. Because if we're relying on him and we are depending on him, then we know that all that we need will be provided for in him in our gracious, compassionate, and loving God. And so we're going to learn from Second Chronicles 20 from the nation of Judah. Israel and Judah uh, have broken into to two nations. And, and over and over again in God's word, we see that God used things like captivity and exile to work in his people that they would know how dependent they are on him. And God works in our lives with things like job loss or illness or a pandemic or relational breakdown all sorts of things to help us see how reliant we are on him, to come back, to live reliant on him, returning to this place of reliance. So as we get into Second Chronicles, I want to just give you a little like Bible study tip for a second. Okay, so First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles are written to people after coming back from exile. You with me so far? So these are post-exile people. These things are written that they may know a whole bunch of things. First and second Kings are kind of like, hey, this is what got you into exile. Don't do these things. There's a lot of like negative, the bad guys are in first and second Kings. First and second Chronicles though, there's a lot more stories of, but here are the things that the Lord blesses. 
And this is what we're going to see here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is what the Lord blesses, this reliance, this dependence on the Lord. So this is an example for us. So read with me the first two verses. It says this, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, that's not super important, you just know it's a whole bunch of people, came against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea of, behold, they are at Hazazon, Tamar, that is, and Gedi. Now, pause for a second. You're probably thinking, okay, Old Testament narrative, there's going to be a war. It just kind of sounds about right. But by way of the Jehoshaphat's view, that shouldn't be happening. He's kind of like, I've been trying to do the things that the Lord blesses. Now, he had had an alliance with a king that the Lord was not pleased with. But since then, you know, in the previous chapter to this, he's been trying to get rid of idol worship. Just a side note, you see this in, in these, these kings. They try and get rid of idol worship, and then they're like, they, it says like they tear down all the idols, and then they have to tear down all the idols again. Like, what's up with that? It's because just like us, they just keep bringing more idols into their life, right? And so Jehoshaphat, he's been trying to do the right thing over and over again, trying to tear down idols. In the chapter just before this, he's been promoting justice, putting in good government and good judges and trying to worship the Lord. And now all of a sudden, this Transjordan coalition army is like knocking on their door. I think we have a map we're going to put up to help you guys see how close they got, all right? So not only are they from like across the Jordan Valley and have they got to the edge of the nation, which you would think that they would have had some sort of early warning radar system that would have helped them know, even if it was like a bunch of guys yelling to each other in the field, they're coming, okay, they're coming. Like something, not only have they got all this far, but look how close they are. They're at En Gedi to Jerusalem. That's about 35 kilometers as the crow flies. Now it's a pretty arid landscape. It's, I've looked at it like Google earthed it and scholars believe at the time. It was probably a day's journey though. So it's like, hey, there's some bad guys. They've already come into the country, and tomorrow you're going to have to fight them. This sets the stage, okay? When the Lord tries to get our attention, he always has a good reason. The Lord's got Jehoshaphat's attention at this point. And now we're going to see why in these next few verses. Read with me verses 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Three principles, three practices for us when it comes to relying on the Lord. Here's the first one. Hopefully you saw it there. He says it three times in those two verses and then seeking the Lord. We need to be a people. If we're going to rely on the Lord who seek the Lord, seeking the Lord, everything has changed just like overnight. Everything was kind of fine. And now it's all bad. It's kind of like March 2020. Everything was just kind of okay at the beginning of the month. And all of a sudden it's like, what's this pandemic thing? This is crazy. Just overnight, everything just changes. And so what does he do? Well, first, he freaks out. Did you see that there in the beginning of verse 3? He was afraid. If you've ever felt convicted, like, I cannot be afraid. Like, I have faith. I can't have fear. No, you can have fear. You're allowed to be afraid. The problem is when you get overwhelmed by your fear. Or in your fear, you don't allow the Lord to encourage you. Fear is actually a helpful thing because it helps us understand how weak and incapable and incompetent we are and turn in reliance to the Lord. And Jehoshaphat has this. He has this moment. He's like, I'm afraid. But what does he do? He set his face to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord. There is this intentional pursuit of divine intervention here. 
He's not messing around when it comes to seeking the Lord. And I would ask you and myself this, is, is that what we do? When difficulty and trial enter our, life, our lives, do we seek the Lord in that way? Now you'll notice that the word Lord, it says it three times there, Lord, it's capital O-R-D, even though they're a little smaller. Does everyone see that? Do you notice that there? It's like that because that's the proper name for God, Yahweh. And Jehoshaphat, when he says, we're going to seek the Lord, we're going to seek Yahweh, he isn't just saying that to like name drop God. In doing that, he is pointing back to the reputation that God has. And so when he says Yahweh, everyone immediately is like, that's the promise keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He took God's people to Egypt when they needed help and he rescued them out of Egypt. He took them to the edge of the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. He brought us into the promised land. He has set all of this up. By just saying that name, everyone's hearts are encouraged. This is who we're looking to. This is who we're searching for. This is who we seek. This is who we depend on. And if you're wondering who all is doing this, slide over to verse 13 for a second, and you can see that all of Judah is doing this, even the little ones, wives, children, everybody. Everybody's seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is not just something that like adults do or like the head of the house does. Seeking the Lord is something that everybody does. Now, in the passage just before this, I I mentioned this, Jehoshaphat had had a relationship with another king where they were going to go into battle, and he was like, hey, let's go into battle together. And this king of Israel was like, all right, but I got a plan. And Jehoshaphat's like, well, we should probably see what the Lord has to do. And he's like, no, I got my plan. That didn't go so well for him. He died, okay? This time, Jehoshaphat's like, I'm not going to talk to any other king. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord and him only. I want to give you this quote. It's from Andrew E. Hill. I love this. To humble oneself before God in the face of insurmountable odds, humanly speaking, and to trust him fully for deliverance are the essence of biblical faith. Do you see that there? Humility and trust are the essence of biblical faith. This is what the Lord is looking at for in your life. Not looking for you to figure it all out, to have it all put together and to do it all by yourself. You can't. We are disasters on our own. We are afraid. We need the Lord to come along and help us. Jehoshaphat's got a pretty quick reaction time. Did you notice that in there in verse 3? He's afraid, so he sought the Lord. What's your reaction time like? I'm going to tell you, mine's pretty slow sometimes. I'm one of these people when I'm driving, if the, the gas light comes on in my car, I like lose my mind. We're all going to die. This is like the end of the world. We have to stop now and get, guys, just me. I don't, I have four kids. I do not want to get stuck on the side of the road in the winter, any time of year with four children in the car. If that light comes on, I'm like, now if you're like oil light or your check engine light comes on, please do something about that. All right. But my wife will often be like, hey, it's okay. We can go a little further. And I'll be like, first gas station. We got to, she's like, no, it's two cents cheaper down the road. Okay. I hope we make it. And I'm like freaking right out because I think we're going to like, come on, Carl, relax. Okay, here's to my shame. I tell you that because of this. Sadly, I am quicker to respond to a light indicating a problem I don't even have yet because I still have gas in the car than I am to getting on my knees before the Lord when trial and difficulty and worry fear enter my life. Jehoshaphat's got some urgency here. He's got urgency that sends him to seek the Lord. You have urgency. You have difficulty. You have trial. You have challenge. Are you seeking 
the Lord. Jehoshaphat wants to make sure God is on his side. That's why he's calling out to the Lord. Is that you? Is that how you respond to trial and difficulty? When fear enters your life, is that what you do? Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, how do I seek the Lord? All right, there's two really simple ways. The first way is we seek the Lord in his word. If you're just reading God's word to get a checkbox and so that you're not that one person at small group who didn't do their devotions this week, that's a problem. That's not a good enough reason to read God's word. And if you're just reading God's word so that you can you know, feel good about yourself, that's not good enough either. In fact, if you're not reading at all, well, that's a whole other problem, okay? We seek the Lord in his word that we may know, that you personally may know Yahweh, the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you can read about in Hebrews 1 how he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Colossians 1, all of his authority, how he is the first over everything. Because when we begin to name drop God into our minds and our difficulties and our challenges, our faith grows inside us and our trust and our reliance and our dependence. And we don't have to fear anymore because we're seeking the Lord and we know who he is. And we look to him to deliver us. So we seek the Lord in his word, but we also seek the Lord in prayer. And Jehoshaphat's going to do this in a second. But those are the essentials. If you're going to seek the Lord, you have to read his word and you have to pray. They are the keys to relying on the Lord. So knowing that, those are the keys to relying on the Lord. Look at your own life. Think back at your own life right now. What is the great multitude coming at you? It's probably not a trans-coalition army from across the Jordan River. We can just agree on that. Hopefully it's not. It's kind of crazy. But what do you have that's coming at you? Is it temptation to sin? Is it fear of the world's pressure on your kids? Is it worrying about your job or your marriage? Your health? The health of a loved one? Is it anxiety over our country and the political climate of our world right now? The answer is the Lord. The promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who loved us enough that while we were still sinners, he sends his son Jesus to die for us. We need to seek the Lord. And it needs to be more than something we just say. I can say, seek the Lord. You can say, I seek the Lord. But we have to actually do it. And Jehoshaphat does that. He says, we're going to seek the Lord. Verse 5, he calls for this national prayer meeting. In verse 6, Jehoshaphat begins to pray. Read along with me. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of, of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, behold, the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let in Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is point number two. Returning to relying on the Lord means being dependent on the Lord. 
Jehoshaphat here is completely dependent on the Lord. He knows they're only 35 kilometers away. He knows this army is only a day's journey away. What else can he do but depend on the Lord? And so he just calls out to God. Our requests of God reveal how helpless we understand ourselves to be, and they display our faith. What we ask about God reveals to others and ourselves what we believe to be true about God. And Jehoshaphat here, he lists some things that he knows to be true about God and why he can rely on God and reach out to him. Look at verse 6 there for a second. Just skim it with me, okay? He asks these questions, these rhetorical questions. He's God of our fathers. He's reminding the people he's been faithful for generations. He is God in heaven. In his hand are power and might, and none is able to withstand him. That's just verse 6. Then you see there in verse 7, he reminds God of his faithfulness and their desire to honor him. He also reminds God of his promise to care for them. That's a specific reference to chapter 6 when Solomon dedicated the temple. And he quotes it there at the end of verse 9. You will hear and you will save. Then verses 10 and 11, he's like, God, we were nice to these guys. You told us to be nice to these guys. And they are returning good with evil. Which leads to verse 12, which is the crux of this whole passage. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love how honest and accurate Jehoshaphat is. He is totally self-aware of his nation and his inability to do anything. They need supernatural divine intervention right here, and they are fully dependent on the Lord. They need God to do something. We know dependence, right? We know dependence. Maybe your kids are dependent on you. Maybe at this season of life, you're dependent on some other people. Maybe you have unhealthy dependence. All of those things, whether it's someone depending on you or you depending on someone else, or or, or what we really need is the Lord. He will never let us down. He will always take care and sustain us. I was trying to think of an illustration for this, and I kept thinking back to uh, when I was younger, I had these older friends of mine who were the kind of mentors. They're about five or six years older than me. And they were into rock climbing. And they would take me rock climbing. And they were really good at it. So they would like set up the ropes and stuff. We'd be out there on like a cliff. And they'd like climb up super high. And, but I remember like being up there. And I wasn't getting really high up there. But you know, like eight or ten feet off the ground. And you slip. And you let go. And you had this moment where you're like fall for a second before the rope catches. And it pulls. And you're completely dependent on that rope to prevent you from splatting. I don't know if splatting is a word, but that's what happens when you hit the ground. Like, you need that to hold you or you're going to get hurt, right? Now, that illustration falls apart for two reasons. One, the rope is man-made and the setup was set up by man. So as much as I can depend on that to save my life, listen, God is greater than any rope we can ever build. He is greater than any setup to rescue ourselves we can ever create. In fact, it says here in this passage, he is God in heaven. He rules over all the kingdoms and the peoples of the earth. In his hand are power and might, and there is none, no problem too great for him. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jehoshaphat knows this, and he desperately calls out to the Lord. I need help. Why don't we do this? The answer is pride. It's sin. We think that in our strength, in our wisdom, with our might and our creativity and our money and our drive and our ability, we can get through it. And if not, then I'll pray. 
absolutely foolish. Because when we do that, and we fail to look to the Lord, we're failing to trust Him. And we're failing to allow Him to love us by leading us. It's one of the greatest ways that the Lord loves us. He guides us and protects us by keeping us on a path that He has for us. But listen, we have to seek Him to know how He's leading us then. Then we can depend on Him. Then we can rely on Him. Then we can look to Him. Our prayer life tells us a lot about our reliance on God. How we pray is it's kind of a thermometer, some sort of gauge for what we believe about God and how we're trusting God. Where's your gauge at? Where's your trust level? Where's your dependency level? I'll be honest with you. I've been convicted recently that I need to pray more. I pray, but do I really depend in my prayer? Do I really call out to God? Am I really desperate? Or am I asking him to do things that I think I can probably get away with if he doesn't answer? The Lord wants to take care of us. God's word says not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants us to come to him. God wants us to get our eyes off of the world and all the things we think we can do. Jehoshaphat does this. He's not worried about anything else going on. He's just like, God, I need you and I need your help. And so he prays. Have you ever prayed a prayer like verse 12 before? God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. We pray that first part lots of times. Oh God, I don't know what to do. This is a really hard thing. But that second part is really hard. My eyes are on you. It's you alone, God, that I'm trusting in. It's you that I'm seeking. No one else will provide the answer that I need. It's got to be you, God. Psalm 121 Verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes up to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Jehoshaphat here, he's showing us how to rely on God and he depends on God in prayer. Let's keep going. Verse 13, it starts off with the word meanwhile there. And this is, do you remember that old like Batman TV show that it would be like meanwhile in another part of the city and then it would be like, and it would like take you to another place. Does anyone remember that? Or did I just like date myself really badly there? Okay. That's what happens here. So Jehoshaphat's like, hey, national prayer meeting. Meanwhile, this prophet shows up and totally interrupts the prayer meeting. And he starts to speak in verse 15. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. This is going to be good. This is important. This is God speaking. The Lord, Yahweh, the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. How good is this? This is awesome. This is amazing. This is the best news these people could have asked for. Twice there he says the battle is not your, or not to be afraid. The battle is not yours, but the Lord stand firm. The Lord will be with you. Did you even notice in verse 16? Some of you need to see this, okay? Some of you have a specific trial and difficulty going on right now. The time and the location of God's deliverance is named. I don't know what you have going on. I don't know when it's going to end or how long you will endure, but the Lord does. The Lord does. And so these people here, 
their hearts are now stirred. The assurance of God's presence becomes more than just this theological statement. It becomes fuel for their faith. Let me say that again. The assurance of God's presence is more than just some theological statement. It's more than just some poster by their door when they walk into their house. It's more than just a words in a song that they, it is now fuel for their faith to trust the Lord with all that's ahead. And what do they have to do? Fight? No. Just stand. God's not asked them to do anything but to trust him. Just stand. All you got to go out is do is stand. Just go and stand. Stand firm. This is our, our third point. Stand firm in the Lord. If we're going to rely on the Lord, we have to stand firm in the Lord. That means not backing down. That means not getting distracted. That means not freaking out, but trusting the Lord to take care of us. Trusting that he will provide do not be dismayed. He says at this great horde that's coming, do not be afraid. You will not need to fight. Only stand firm. Hold your position. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. The prophet says it. The battle is the Lord's. Psalm 147, verse 10 and 11 says, his delight is not in the strength of horse nor in the pleasure in the legs of man. It's not about our might and our ability and what we can bring to any sort of challenge or difficulty. Verse 11, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. This is King Josiah, uh, Josiah, or Jehoshaphat here. This is all of Judah. They have put their faith in the steadfast love of the Lord. So they worshiped. They're thrilled. Verses 18 and 19, they're like, praise the Lord. This is awesome, which leads to verse 20. And they rose early in the morning. Pause there for a second. I don't know if you ever, when you were younger, some of you are still young, or you think you are at least. <laughs> you want to get up early on Christmas morning, right? Because you're excited about something. Something's going to happen. It's Christmas morning, right? Or whenever you celebrate or what, you know. Because there's something, there's anticipation. It's my birthday tomorrow. I got to get up. Way more anticipation. I would bet that there were some of these people, they didn't even sleep. They're like, we're going to go out to the valley, whatever that valley is, specific place where the Lord has said, tomorrow, and we are going to see the salvation of the Lord because the battle is his. All we have to do is hold our position. We just have to go. This is going to be awesome. They're like freaking out. They rose early in the morning. They're so excited. And they went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said this, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophet and you will succeed. Jehoshaphat is just calling the people. Have faith in God and you will find him to be faithful. Stand firm. Don't worry. Don't run. Just trust the Lord. Now, normally at this point, when you go out to battle, you go out to battle, and then there would be this like, all right, battle cry, let's get us all like pumped up. It's the equivalent of like the song that the team plays before they like go on the field. They would have some sort of like chant or like they get all riled up. This is what they do, verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This is full reliance. This is complete dependence. This is standing in the Lord in faith. This is the secret weapon of God's people. It's worship. They worship the Lord. They call out to the Lord. They, they literally send the worship team to the front. All these guys, they've been working out all their lives. 
And they're like, you're in the back. We need to worship here right now. That's what we need. It's the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And here's what happens. They begin to worship, verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Am- yeah, sorry, I can't say it. Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. How does this supernatural infighting occur? The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord and he delivers. They have faith in the Lord and they find him faithful. When we have faith in the Lord, we will always find him faithful. I was looking for another passage in scripture that was similar to this. And the best one that I could find was in Exodus chapter 14. Listen to how similar the things are that Moses says to the nation of Israel to what this prophet has just said to Judah here. Okay, listen to this. Moses said to the people, fear not. So this is, they're at the edge of the Red Sea. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Which he will work today for you. For the Egyptian whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. Stand firm. The Lord isn't asking you to be the hero. He is the hero. He's not asking you to have enough strength or even have enough faith. Our faith comes from him in our looking to him and calling out to him and reaching to him. This is the secret weapon of God's people. This is how we survive battles, how we face trials and difficulties and worries and temptation and hostility and sickness and sadness and all humanly impossible odds is we go to the Lord, we stand firm in him and we worship him. Look in verse 21 there at the words that they say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. We can be like, oh, that's really nice. And it rhymes actually, because they didn't say it in English. Okay, we'd be like, oh, we can make that into a song. No, 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 that's not the point. There is theology that they are articulating there. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to Yahweh, the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because his steadfast love endures forever. They are intentionally reminding themselves of truth and theology and doctrine about God that their hearts would be stirred into dependence, that fear would move away, and that faith would come in its place that their trust in God would increase. But see, our sinful flesh tries us to tell us so often, no, 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 you've got to intervene. But what we need is the Lord to intervene. We need to put pride away and step out of the way. We need to worship and not worry. Now, the Lord doesn't always swoop in like this. He doesn't remove every difficulty and make everything perfect this side of heaven in every situation. But that doesn't change who he is or how we are to view him. In fact, the difficulties and the challenges and the problems that the Lord allows into our lives sovereignly in his perfect plan are but a picture to help remind us of how dependent we are on him. And I don't mean to make your difficulty or your trial or your challenge seem small or trivial at all. Because it might be massive. But the problem of sin is bigger. 
And so the Lord allows us to have these difficulties and these trials now to help us understand that they are small and he can solve those because he has solved the massive humanly impossible problem of sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And the truth of the gospel for you and I today, we don't have three generations back who were there at the Red Sea. We don't have that, but we have the truth of a risen savior. We have Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead so that we can have life. Yeah, this life is difficult. Yeah, this might be hard, but we don't have to fear because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loved us enough and that while we were still sinners, before we said we were sorry, when we didn't even know how bad we were, sent his son Jesus on a plan of rescue and redemption that we don't have to do anything. All we have to do is trust him. All we have to do is believe in him. All we have to do is depend on him. The winds of discouragement, the waves of sin, the crush of difficulty, listen, they might be overwhelming in your life. Maybe the Lord is just calling to you today to just stand firm in him. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. It's really hard to wait. What do you do while you wait? We worship. We worship. We sing. We seek the Lord in his word and in prayer, and we stand firm. Hold your position, friends. Don't back down. Trust the Lord. God is able. God is reliable. He is dependable. Now, maybe you're like, okay, well, what do I do then with this? Maybe today you just need to confess your reliance on God by actively seeking him in his word and in prayer. You have been independent far too long. You have allowed pride to seep in that you don't need help. And you need to go to the Lord today in his word and in prayer. And you need to commit to do it regularly. Maybe, though, you just specifically need to depend on the Lord. You've never prayed like verse 12. I don't know what to do, God. You've done that. But the second part, you need to say, but my eyes are on you. I'm going to completely depend on you right now. And while you wait and while you sit, we stand firm in the Lord by worshiping. This is the secret weapon of God's people. We remind ourselves of him who our faith is in. So we don't have to fear. We put our faith in the one who is always faithful. We rely on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I imagine in a room with this many people right now, there are a lot of different trials and challenges and difficulties that are represented by these people. God, there's all sorts of things that worry us and stress us out. We just confess, God, we are insufficient and incapable on our own but you are not. We don't need to fear. Your word has taught us that again this morning. Though the great hordes may come against us, God, you are sufficient. So God, would you help us to seek you? We know that when we seek you, you will be found. So help us to seek you that you may be found. Reveal yourself to us, please. I pray for the friends in this room who will in a fresh way seek you in your word this week, God, that you would just speak to them in such an encouraging way. Would you help us to depend on you that we would find you faithful over and over again because you are faithful. Forgive us for our faithful faithlessness. And God, I pray that as we wait for you to resolve, because you know the time and location of everything, you would help us to worship. You would help us to stand firm and depend on you and grow our faith in you that we would rely on you well for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name.